Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, ice and deli meat. It is some sort of magic and, it, and it's just beautiful. And I think that combination of what you said where it's really unlikely and that you shouldn't do it, but you can and it works and it's beautiful and you're climbing this frozen strip of hockey rink into the sky. That is pretty cool. Like that is awesome. How do you figure something out? How do you go there and do something that maybe nobody's ever done before or you don't have a lot of information about? It's, you know, if I get a big hit of adrenaline doing my job, that means I've really screwed up. Everybody's like, you're crazy, which is usually the first step in having a good idea. Everybody tells me you're crazy. That'll never work. So whenever somebody tells me that what I'm doing is crazy, it's an indicator that I'm on the right track. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. So our first guest is a professional ice climber, paragliding pioneer, kayaking explorer, all-around mountain sports athlete. And if that's not interesting enough, he has this philosophy and insight into life that I think is just incredibly inspiring. He said something during this interview that just spoke to my soul, like right to my soul. And that's the idea that if you follow your passion and somebody else tells you that you're crazy, you're probably on to something. This is professional ice climber and all-around mountain sports athlete, Will Gadd. Now, did you start ice climbing or did you do another kind of climbing and then transition into this? I grew up in a climbing family. So where other kids got dragged to like, I don't know, baseball practice in the weekend, I got dragged out into the mountains. So I was climbing literally from pretty much as soon as I could walk. Um, but always loved the outdoor sports, was always a skier, a climber. And now I'm kind of an all around mountain sports guy and do a bunch of, that's what I do is mountain sports. Best known, I guess, for ice climbing. But I've also set a few distance records for paragliding and done a bunch of first descents all over. Are, are you drawn to the mountains, to the outdoors, or are you drawn kind of to the adrenaline, so to speak? There's two big pieces in what you just asked, actually. Yeah, I'm really drawn to the outdoors, for starters. It's like everybody's better off outside. If your kids are misbehaving, what do you do? You send them outside, and they become better kids. Whether it's adrenaline or not, I don't really think it's adrenaline that pulls me into the outdoors. Um, adrenaline's actually dosage dependent. Like if you've ever almost wrecked your car and your hands get cold and clammy and you feel like shit, that's too much adrenaline. What I dig in the mountains is doing complicated things well with cool people. That's what fires me up. Like 
how do you figure something out? How do you go there and do something that maybe nobody's ever done before or you don't have a lot of information about? It's, you know, if I get a big hit of adrenaline doing my job, that means I've really screwed up and I probably almost died and I should not have done that. And I, I use it as a big reset. So I'm not a super fan of adrenaline. How do you kind of control that balance in terms of pushing yourself to something that maybe you don't know if you can do versus something like, wow, we shouldn't really be doing this? In anything in life, for me, anyhow, I'm always looking for competence versus confidence. So competence is, are you any good at it? And does your confidence level match that? Like competence comes first. So, you know, YouTube's full of people that have high levels of confidence and low levels of competence and they're on the fail reel. And personally, like for me, my stakes are pretty high. If I'm doing a new ice climb or flying my paraglider over the Grand Canyon or whatever I'm setting out to do, I have to have a pretty high competence level and and a and then confidence too, that sure helps. But, you know, this, this just be confident and think positively and it'll work out is bullshit. It'll get you killed in my world. You know, and if you're a business person, it'll take you down. The hold my beer watch this stage of my career is pretty far back. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's not really something you can get away with outside, right? <laughs> no, in fact, most things in life, that's not a successful strategy. You know, if I like, if I suddenly decide I'm a, you know, an investing expert and, and start making huge bets based on my hunches about stocks, I'm probably not going to have a lot of money pretty shortly. For somebody like me, when I look at something like ice climbing, knowing nothing about it, I look at it and like, man, that looks like something we shouldn't be doing. Kind of educate me about it. Why would somebody do that? Your your basic take in that you shouldn't be doing it is probably correct. <laughs> you know, like it is hazardous. It is dangerous. There's a lot of pieces going on. You know, there aren't very many good uses for ice. Maybe you can put it in your scotch, things like that. But in general, ice kind of sucks in a natural environment. But as an ice climber, you can climb this stuff. And that, it is some sort of magic. And it and it's just beautiful. And I think that combination of what you said, where it's really unlikely and that you shouldn't do it, but you can and it works and it's beautiful. And you're climbing this frozen strip of hockey rink into the sky. That is pretty cool. Like, that is awesome. How How do you do it? Like you're not just you're not just holding on. Like what are you how are you doing? It's an axe and it's a yeah something so on your feet, like 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 any worthwhile sport, there's equipment, right? You got you got things going on. So you've got these these tools in your hands and they look, you know, they look like the ice picks in the cartoons kind of, but you know, a classic ice axe. They're they're modified, they're made of carbon, you know, and they're very they're very high tech implements now, but that's what you swing into the ice, and then you've got these kind of grizzly claws on your feet. And you kick those into the ice. And you can stand there on vertical frozen ice and go up. And it's awesome. It's it's just a, a great feeling. And then you've got a rope on because, you know, if you if you die, you lose. That's that's one of the rules of life. And living is pretty great. In my experience, Eddie, I'm pretty stoked on it. Nine days out of ten, I'm, I'm up for it. So the other one is just a bad day. But uh, the, the it's just awesome. You get to climb up with your rope. So if you fall off, you don't die. And you need some training, like there's systems involved, you know, any, any, any high consequence outcome environment, you, you need systems, whether you're working in the energy industry or whatever, it's like, you don't just go for it and hope it works out. You've got ropes, you've got best practices and it's not safe. Um, but I, I do take my kids out ice climbing, you know, my daughters are nine and 13 and we've been going ice climbing for the last three or four years and, and they love it. And we have a great time. So you, you can make it for me anyhow, in a 
take it to a place where I feel the odds are decent that you'll, it's not safe. It's never going to be safe. Nothing worthwhile is right. For, when you, when you kind of compare it to other kinds of climbing, is it more risky or is it about the same? I, for me, risk and climbing comes down to, again, that competence and understanding how good you are at something. And you can control that by and large, how well you understand things. That's the first chunk. And then the second chunk is complexity. So when you're ice climbing, it's in a more complex environment than going to your local climbing gym and going climbing. So it's inherently more risky due to that complexity. And you can manage that with competence and and developing better skills. And that's a pretty long answer, but I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And um, I, I compare the risk of ice climbing to about kind of two steps down from riding a motorcycle has less um, external variables and, you know, icicles don't just fall off and try and kill me like cars do. So I'm still comfortable with, with ice climbing, even though I won't ride my motorcycle anymore. Where does the complexity come from? I mean, for me, obviously looking at it, knowing nothing, like ice seems like ice, like what is the complexity? Is it, is it steeper in certain places? Is the ice different? Does it shape different? Like where does the complexity come from? So, I mean, the classic ice climb is a, is a frozen waterfall, right? It's a, it's a waterfall that grew ice as the, as that water went smashing down the wall or whatever. And that's, that's the classic ice climb. It can be anywhere from, um, you know, like 10 feet high to to 3000 feet high, depending on how high it is. And what makes it complex is understanding how the ice forms and why and how it's attached to the rock. Like the worst case scenario, ice climbing is that the whole thing falls off the wall which it's guaranteed to do like once every, you know, once a year, it's going to fall down for sure. Every spring there will be no ice climb there. So understanding how that ice, um, bond, ice rock bond works and why. And, you know, if you've ever tried to chip ice, I didn't ask where you live. Is it someplace warm or cold? Seattle. Seattle. All right. So you don't get a lot of ice on your sidewalks, but you're driving up to a Sunoqualami Pass or whatever. And, you know, the, the road gets icy. That bond is really, really good in some situations between the ice and the road and then horrible in others. And if it's, for example, if the if the temperatures have been really low for a long time and you get freezing rain there, then the ice on the road will be incredible. But if you get rain on a warm road, then it's no big deal. And ice climbing is kind of the opposite. You need the rock to be cold, the ice to be cold, and that bond to be good. So it's the physics of it and understanding how that works. And then you're, you know, you're climbing frozen ice. Let's face it. This stuff is weird. It breaks in odd ways. And I've been doing it for 35 years, a fair amount now. And every time I go out, I still learn something new every single day. And I, and I love that about it. It's a, it's complicated. It's interesting. Like what makes you good at it? Uh, probably a little bit of ADD and a little bit of OCD and, and, uh, you know, combinations of letters. I think some people are just hardwired for like larger and more intense experiences. You know, as I said at the start of this, I'm not normal, and I, and I know that. I do need high-intensity things that are meaningful. That's when I function well. Like, I have a big goal, and I'm trying to get together all the pieces from funding to film crew to make it happen. That That's what fires me up, is these and – then, and then going and doing it and figuring out how does it work? What did I get wrong? What do I need to fix? How do I move in a different direction? You know, how do I keep my crew safe in these environments? Like, that's really interesting stuff to me, so – um, that's probably why I'm good at it is I, is I find it interesting and, and I have my whole life and, and mountains in general are interesting because they're complicated. It, compared to other kinds of climbing, is it more mental than physical? Well, I think anything athletic has both, right? If you're, it doesn't matter how good you are at something if you can't perform mentally. And, and so for me, the sport psychology, I've competed in a lot of different sports as well. 
And that's endlessly fascinating. Like, how do you make your mind work to perform well in a competitive environment? And, you know, I can, I've competed in a lot of different sports over the years, and there's different mindsets for different ones. And um, I've beaten a lot of people in comps who are way stronger than I am. I guarantee, you know, like I guarantee that I can, I can't do like a one-arm pull-up on a half. I can do a one-arm pull-up. You know, I've got the threshold strength for my sport that I've developed, but I, I was, I never had the strongest fingers or whatever in the, in the competitive rock climbing I was doing, but I'm pretty good at working with my own mind, um, mainly because I've had to learn how to do it. <laughs> it's not, it didn't come about because I sat down at a Zen monastery. I was like, I am a shit show, and therefore, how do I improve? And, you know, starting from that point, and, and but taking it seriously and, and learning how to how to make things work mentally. So ice climbing, you do that. You figure out, um, you know, it's when you should push, when you shouldn't push, what the evidence is for that, and it's the ultimate reality check, like. Climbing does not put up with bullshit. You know, the mountains do not tolerate that. You can't say, you know, there's not a contested election in the mountains, right? <laughs> like the rockets are coming down or they're not. There's none of that kind of nonsense. And uh, and I love that about them. So it's, it's always mental. It's always physical. And knowing yourself and, and knowing the mountains, I guess, is what it's all about. When you do a climb, does somebody, yourself or your partner or whoever, go up to the top? and put a rope in or do you put the rope in as you go up? Yeah. So, I mean, that's often one of the first questions. How do you get the rope up there? And uh, yeah. nothing else in this, in this conversation, people will get that figured out. So there's one person is the leader and there's one person is the blayer. So you start on the ground, both people are standing there, leaders tied into the rope, scampers up the climb, puts in an ice screw or a piece of rock protection. If you're on rock clips, a carabiner around the rope and the blayer says on belay. And that means that the climber falls off, the rope will go tight sooner or later because the blayer is holding on to it and, and the climber will be hanging below that piece of protection, whether it's an ice screw or, or gear. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was, I guess I always kind of wondered like, well, you just put the rope up. Yeah. Wait, how, do you, how do, you do you get the rope, the rope up, up there? You know, I, I get that question, whether I'm standing in Moab at, on Potash Road, you know, the guy gets out of the RV from Texas. He's like, how do you get that rope up there? <laughs> or like the elevator, right? Yeah. So that's how Hop you do it. that escalator. Yeah, so you go zipping up the rock, you put in protection. Um, again, you, you you die, you lose. You get up to a point where you don't have any more rope left, give or take. And um, you put in what's called a belay. So a bunch of protection. It's really, really strong, kind of, you know, no way it's going to come out. And then you put the belayer, um, who's down there on the ground, on belay. And they climb up to you, taking out those pieces of gear um, that you put in. And you get to the belay. And you repeat that as many times as you need to do to get to the top of whatever you're doing. And that's how the whole system works. So, it, it, Are there any climbs, ice climbs, that you've done where, you know, sometimes you see in, in- – movies and magazines like the climbers are camping out on the rock like are there ice climbs that are like that too i've done some things that are predominantly ice climbs where you end up sleeping on the face that's more alpine big wall stuff where you're you're up there on a wall and you know it's winter conditions you're climbing ice maybe you're climbing some rock with your ice tools and you know you spend a spend a full day climbing and then get to a big snow patch and um dig out a snow cave in there and and there's three guys stuffed into you know something that's slightly larger than my desk here, you know, and you sleep there for the night and you are so psyched because you've been going so hard all day and you get to rest in there and eat and you're protected from the, the wilds because you're in this little snow cave in the middle of a face and sleep like a rock, you know, you're, and then you get up the next day and you do it again and you do it till you get to the top of the face or you, you decide it's too dangerous and go down or, or whatever. But yeah, I've definitely done that. And you can do the same thing and, you know, sleep on, on a, on a big rock climb and a portal edge and uh, yeah, lots of different ways to approach it. 
what's what's kind of the big danger up there? I mean, do the does it ever collapse on you? Well, ice people always think that ice climbing. Um, the biggest danger in ice climbing is that the ice climb falls down, and and that does happen every spring, as I said. But the biggest danger is is just not operating in your zone of like competence, confidence, and and you know maybe you decide that day that you're a little bit better than you actually are, and the mountains do not tolerate that, and you get slapped down or you miss something. You know, avalanche hazard is another big one. We're always on, we're always climbing an avalanche train, so. Um, we can't use the standard tools that are common in the ski industry in terms of digging pits in the snow because all that snow is way above us. We're not even there yet. So a lot of the snow safety um, standards don't work very well for ice climbing. So we're trying to make judgments off of other data that's pretty sparse and, and understanding that. So falling off and breaking yourself, that's probably the number one danger. And then probably avalanches um, statistically kill more ice climbers than than falls and so on do. Can you make a living as a professional ice climber? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm so what I you can do that a few different ways. The classic way is to be a guide, and so I'm, I am a guide. I've relative way later than anybody should ever go back to guide school. I went back to guide school and got my credentials and so on to do that. And uh, so you, you can do that. But what you're really doing in any career is figuring out how to give people value, right? Like, and that's what you're if you're what you're doing is of value, then then it works. And so. What I do for my sponsors, you know, whether it's Red Bull or Arcteryx or Black Diamond, these are the companies that I work with. You know, I feel really good every year asking for money because I think I give a good value. And so far, they agree. (laughs) You know, I've had a 30-sub year career doing what I do as a pro athlete. But yeah, you can make a living at anything almost if you're really good at it. You know, if you're the best in the world at Rubik's Cubes, I'm sure you're making great money, you know, or whatever it is. But you've you got to be good at it and then really give people value. There is no career more esoteric than icicle whacker, right? Like, so if I could do this, I guarantee you whatever you got going on, you could do. Are there that many places in the world where you can do this? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's one of the cool things about ice climbing is anywhere in the world that water will freeze, you've got an ice climb. And and that's been great. So I've traveled all over the world. I spent a, I've been spending a lot of time in China the last couple of years. Um, ice climbing in China. I've ice climbed in New Zealand. I've ice climbed, in, you know, all over Asia, South America, all over Europe. Just I was ice. I've been ice climbing in like Illinois on the side of an old silo, in Iowa, and uh, some of the Minnesota, um, some of the, in an old quarry. You, you'd, there's ice climbing basically if you're north of like Albuquerque. There's ice climbing in the U.S. and, and of that latitude globally, probably. Wow, I wouldn't have man. Yeah, I thought it would be Canada up and above. No, it's amazing. I know nothing about ice. Well, no, it's it's not. Why would you? It's not your zone of you know. It's not what you do, right? So the the yeah, it's a it's a huge um, sport in a lot of different places of the world. It's growing really quickly, especially during these whole times where people are looking for um, sports they can do outside. You know, I, I don't know what it's what it's like there in Seattle, but our parks here are packed with people. Everybody's going outside to recreate because the indoor recreation has potential consequences that um, people are not psyched about. So they're, they're going outside. Our, our parks are overrun. Our ice climbing areas already this year are getting hammered by people who are just stoked. You know, the instructional courses for the guides are packed. So, yeah. Are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Heck yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> if there are any, I'm amazed. There are. We can- Best place in the world to ice climb. 
best place in the world to learn to ice climb is probably either Camor, Alberta, where I live, or Uray, Colorado. Um, Uray, Colorado is this old mining town that was completely dead in the winter, and they started flowing ice water that turned into ice over the edge of this canyon. And there's like miles of ice climbs to do. It's like sunny a lot of the time because it's Colorado. And you've got a great community of people there. So that's and it's super accessible, like two-minute walk, you're ice climbing. So Uray, Colorado is awesome. And then Camor, Alberta is great as well. You know, I'm a little partial to that. I live here because of the ice climbing, <laughs> at least in part. Um, and then there's, but everywhere, you know, the Adirondacks in the eastern U.S. are great. You've actually got ice climbing in California up at Lee Vining. And then for me personally, like anywhere I haven't been yet, right? New climbs, that's what I like. Things that are weird and interesting and complicated. And Is there like a holy grail, so to speak? for for the next kind of level of ice climbing is there something that everybody's looking at or everybody a, a test piece for people or anything like that i mean there's certain reference ice climbs around the world like um the place that's kind of the current cutting edge for ice climbing is is, is called helmkin falls in british columbia and imagine you took like a covered stadium is the stadium still covered there in seattle i can't remember they blow it up to no no, people in Seattle are so used to the rain that like it just doesn't even phase. You know, I, I noticed that. I taught a paragliding clinic there. It started raining and I'm from like a dry place. I was like freaking out and they're like, oh, no, we're good. I'm like, I just taught this clinic and tell everybody it was, I was totally soaked and they were fine. They were like, yeah, this is normal. It was crazy. Anyhow. Yeah. Yes. So if you, if you ever see someone with an umbrella in Seattle, they are not from Seattle. Yeah. What's, I don't understand that. It's like an adaptation to water. It's weird. Anyhow. Um. I dig Seattle, by the way. I thought the stadium used to like open and close there or something. So anyhow, imagine this place where you took a, a stadium and you cut it in half and then the water came out of the ceiling and there's a giant cave on one side with like a 500 foot waterfall. And then the spray from that waterfall froze to the roof of the stadium. That's what Helmkin Falls is. It's like, you know, that place in Brazil for surfing Nazare or what Nazare, I don't know how you pronounce it, or Jaws in Hawaii or something. This has become like the frontier for ice climbing because you're climbing dangling icicles out, you know, imagine like the biggest warehouse you can imagine out, out the roof of that warehouse. And so that's really interesting. And, and a guy named Tim Emmett and I were the first to pioneer that. And everybody's like, you're crazy, which is usually the first step in having a good idea. Everybody tells you you're crazy. That'll never work. You know, my boss, when I left publishing, he's like, you'll be back in six months. And, and uh, you know, you're crazy. That's what he said. And, and here I am. And 33 years later. So whenever somebody tells me that what I'm doing is crazy, it's an indicator that I'm on the right track. And uh, we developed this place, Helmkin Falls in BC. And that's kind of the, the current cutting edge of the sport. But China's great too. They're building roads like you would not believe in China. And, and they have endless mountain ranges in China, psyched people, and they're going at it hard. Favorite piece of ice climbing lingo? Lingo. Um, Probably when people yell ice, that's a that's a key piece of information. You want to like get out of the way. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Uh, but like, I guess I, that makes sense, right? Yeah, but it, you would think it's kind of counterintuitive because you're standing on ice. Why would say ice? But it means falling ice and you should move out of the way. But climbers are like Inuit in the north or something and that they have 50 different words for ice. You know, we think of ice, it's either frozen, about to melt or whatever. You know, that's the limits of ice. But we have like cauliflower ice. We have chandelier ice. We have all these funny words that describe different forms of ice. Cauliflower ice looks like cauliflower stuck together. And you climb up this stuff and it's not very secure. And those ice screws, protection pieces I mentioned earlier, don't hold very well on that. So you are not stiked. And then we've got onion skins where the ice builds in layers. And, and 
you know, we've got, I don't know how many words. It's funny, actually, I should write something about that because there's, there's so many cool words for ice climbing. But if, if you're climbing like an icicle, like how th- in diameter, how thick does it need to be for you to climb it? Well, that was a game for a while. We were climbing ever thinner icicles, right? We're like, how thin can we go? Was Because that was like every sport looks for new avenues to kind of express itself in. And, and that was the avenue for a while. And then people started breaking them. And it's pretty hard to predict how thin is too thin. And when they break, you and large pieces of ice are falling to the ground, which sucks. You know, that's, again, first rule, you die, you lose. So (laughs) the sport kind of lost enthusiasm. But people climb some amazingly thin icicles, stuff that was, you know, free hanging. So it's hanging in space, and you reach up with your ice tools, and you can just reach the bottom of it. And the bottom of the icicle is maybe like, you know, slightly larger than than a, you know, a Ben and Jerry's ice cream. And then it gets fatter as it goes up from there. So, so yeah, size of your fist or something, and then maybe the size of your like, you know, leg within a foot or two, and then you're and then you're climbing something that's pretty skinny for a while. But like, you know, weird weird personal thing. Whenever I look at icicles in the side of a house, I'm like, I could climb that. <laughs> yeah. It's like I want to be miniaturized so I could go and climb the icicles because those things for but they could be like three feet long and less than an inch in diameter. That would be pretty cool. But have, so you, have you ever tried to climb a house icicle? You know, I have, but they just broke, you, you know, and, and then you make holes in the shingles when you get to the top. It's just not cool. So not, not encouraging. That. <laughs> I the neighbors don't that. appreciate. Well, I'm kind of like malfunctioning drain pipes on buildings where the water's made an ice climb on the side of a building. I've messed around with that. So kind of the same, I guess. What is your personal favorite climb? Personal favorite climb? Probably the one I haven't done yet. Again, the future's way more interesting than the past, right? Like past is done. Um, and you, you know, gain a lot from it, but I'm always looking forward. What's the next thing I can do. And so I've got to climb in Northern Alberta. I'm trying to do this, this winter. Alberta is obviously a province in the Canadian Rockies and in Canada. I'm going to go there and try and climb this thing. And it's, it's, it's in the middle of nowhere. We'll have to snowmobile in there for the full day and then camp for a couple of days. And this thing is pretty cool. So can't tell you where it is, or you'd go do it first. Cause I can tell by the look of your eye, you'd go buy ice tools and be there in a week. So oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I would imagine the ice climb is different every year, right? Like even if you go back to the same place, it's going to be different, right? Totally. And that's what's cool about it. Like a rock climb, you go back year after year and people get really excited on a rock climb if a hold breaks off. Like you're, you're climbing at Index, which is one of the big areas near near Seattle and a hold breaks there. And everybody's like, wow, the hold broke off on, you know, the third rope length of X, Y, Z or whatever. And, and they're all ice climbing. It's like they all fall out every year and they form totally differently. And that's one of the differences I love about it is that change and, and accepting it for what it is. You know, a rock climb, you kind of know what you're getting into and you walk up. But a nice climb, you really have to adapt to it and see it for what it is. And ice climbers often get into trouble when they walk up to an ice climb and they try to make it what they want it to be rather than what it is. So that's a, that's a big concept in all the stuff I do and in risk management in general is realizing that the world is right and you're not, (laughs) you're just a tourist. (laughs) The world is always right. You got to, you have to adapt to it. This one is, was Niagara Falls that hard or was it just kind of well-known? Well, it was really well known. You know, I was on Kilimanjaro, and people there are like, "You're the guy that climbed Niagara Falls." <laughs> so, yeah, for those for the audiences, you know, maybe not clued into the intricacy of ice. I, I climbed Niagara Falls a few years ago, and and then did a bunch of media afterwards and so on. Um, and Niagara Falls is probably the best known waterfall in the world. If you know one waterfall in the world, it's probably Niagara Falls. So, um, yeah, it was really well known, but it was actually legit hard. 
And I worked really hard to make it reasonably safe because that was a big part of the risk management plan with the, the multiple layers of government and agencies and, and people involved is, you know, getting hurt there would have been a fairly disastrous outcome on a lot of levels. So I worked pretty hard to make it safe. Um, it was funny because they all said, no, you can't do this, never. And then I'd call back and they'd be like, expletive no. And literally, if I see you here, I'm going to arrest you because they, they get a lot of wackos at Niagara Falls, right? <laughs> it's kind of a track, including me. I'm not going to say I'm not a wacko, but I'm a wacko <laughs> with a plan. You know? <laughs> and I could write a safety plan and, and break down what's required. So the, uh, you know, eventually I had to go through and convince them. And their big, the big thing I had to listen to them about is what their concerns were and how it worked. And then flip it around and say, well, if it went right, what would the outcome be? Like, could you sell some more hotel rooms in Niagara Falls if if it made international TV? And and that's what you know, that's what got me in there and allowed me to do it was to listen to them and then give them a positive upside to their risk of allowing me to do it. So they were in, and then yeah, the climbing was fully legit. You know, you do not want to fall off climbing Niagara Falls. It's it's aerated ice. It's that spray ice I was talking about earlier in parts. And if you get swept into the river there, the outcomes are not good. So yeah, it's legit. It's scary. It's hard. And I don't want to, you know, I don't know if I'd want to do it again, honestly. It's, it took a lot of prep, a lot of work. And you know, I flew to Buffalo like eight times in the winter to, to, to listen to everybody and figure out how to make it work for them. My uh, grandparents are from Niagara Falls. Buffalo. Oh, right on. Yeah. So you know the- wait, did you climb the you climb the American side, right? Yeah, the American side, right off, right on the left side of Horseshoe Falls, because that's the steepest part that that works, and it actually freezes up. Yeah, so that's that's the kind of the coolest part of the falls is is right on the left side of Horseshoe Falls there, and uh, it was it was amazing. I I really am very lucky in life to have been, you know, who would have thought that when I quit my job, you know, thirty some years ago to to be a professional icicle climber that I'd end up on like CNN after climbing Niagara Falls, right? Like you don't know where the cool stuff is going to take you. And, and uh, yeah, it, that took me to a pretty cool place. You climb that side right next to that viewpoint. Yeah. Right. You, yeah. Like right up there. on that viewpoint. Yeah. I popped up right over the edge of that viewpoint. If you go there, if you've been there and on the American side and you walk out there, it's right there. Like that roar and that powerful stuff. And, you know, it took tremendous quantities of planning and, you know, again, that's one reason maybe I've been a little more successful is, is I, I spent a full year and a half working on that climb. And I had a lot of help from Red Bull and other people and people that just got psyched on it. Like, I know a guy, you know? <laughs> but it, it took a year and a half of planning. The safety planning on that was like as tall as I was, you know, and figuring out how to keep a film team safe on a, you know, a, a sloped skating rink to a 200 foot drop, you know, and if it, anything goes wrong on on every one of my projects, I, I am responsible for the people's safety who are there and then getting a dynamic going where together we're going to be safe and how we do that. And it's a, it's a huge process, but um, yeah, to answer the, the original question, it was hard and it was really cool. <laughs> I, I like this question. What is your favorite kind of ice crushed ice or cubed ice in a drink? Uh, as far as drink goes, crushed ice is not cool. It melts way too fast, got way too much surface area. And uh, as sort of a, you know, an amateur ice physicist, crushed ice is bullshit. You want to put that in like your your large sized Slurpee, right? That's what that stuff's for. Your, your like big gulp at 7-Eleven or whatever. That's what crushed ice is for. 
But uh, in a drink, you want to go with a good solid cube and you got to have your freezer cold. I keep my freezer really cold because I like my ice to be hard and to last a while and to really cool things down. Uh, but not that many drinks require ice. If you're putting ice in scotch, I'm sorry, but we're going to have to have a conversation and an intervention because that is not cool. But uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I love that question too. Thank you. I know. I was, you had an amazing answer for us. Like, man, he's thought of this. Did, did I have? Really- if it's about ice, I've probably thought about it a little bit. Um, that's pretty much all the questions that I got. Is there anything else that you think we missed or anything like that? What's kind of coming up next for you? Uh, kind of, well, who knows what's coming up, right? I think with all of us, when COVID hit, everybody started jumping on Zoom calls and rescheduling for next week, then next month, then two months, then six months. So then now we're all just going, what do we do? You know, like, and, and I'm very much trying to just be where I am and, and make plans that are a push, but seem achievable. And then they change, you know, like BC, which is the province next to me, just, um, ask people to not go and visit BC. So that plans out. So now I'm going to Northern Alberta for that plan. And I've got a a whole bunch of kind of mini video stuff I'm doing for various sponsors on how to ice climb, how to keep your hands warm, stuff like that. I've been Instagramming on that. But if anybody has more questions on any of this stuff, I obviously enjoy talking about it. And um, I can hit me with a question. You just go to willgad.com and fire me an email off of there or Instagram, DM me or whatever. And I will get back to you. And and, uh, yeah, maybe somebody wants to go out and do something crazy. You know, it'd be awesome if somebody out there is like, I live in, you know, someplace I'd never think of um, having great ice climb. I live in Georgia and there's this place in Georgia that every year freezes up and it's so rad. I would totally come climb. So if you've got a place like that, that you, that you could think of or, whatever, please let me know and let's do something cool. I want to thank Will so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, we have a link to him on our social media sites. We're profoundly pointless on Instagram and Twitter. And we had also included his information on the description that's on this podcast. Okay, let's go ahead and bring John Shull in. All right, here's my question for you. What do you do more? get fake laughs or give fake laughs that's a tough one i'm going to just go out and let me and say that i get fake laughs more than i give fake laughs 100 percent, probably when you notice that some okay when somebody gives you the fake laugh do you know that they're fake laughing or do you realize it later on like how quickly do you think oh that's a fake laugh I mean, probably pretty quick. I would say that um, it's pretty easy to pick up on, especially with people that you know, kind of, but not really, like work, like work uh, acquaintances, right? Customary, like <laughs> it's a great joke, but I really hate you inside. Now, when you get the fake laugh, is it a situation where the fake laugh is warranted? Were you trying to be funny, or did they just kind of throw out the fake laugh in awkwardness? It's probably a good mix, uh, but I'm a little bit of a jokester. Uh, but I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure that some of my jokes are probably pretty lame, uh, if not all of them. So they're probably all fake laughs. And you can really, anybody who's listening to this for the first time, you can pretty much tell that by the fact that he used jokester. I, I don't, I, I, guess, I guess I agree with you, but I don't really agree with you. At the same time, is jokester not a, uh, is that not a, a suitable word? No, it's fine if you're like 77. <laughs> and living back in the 1930s, I think it's a completely appropriate thing to say. But if you're using the word jokester, you're probably getting a good amount of fake laughs. <laughs> so what you're really saying is uh, you're just trying to be nice to me. You're really saying that I'm not funny 
or a jokester at all. No, I think you're a funny guy. Thank you. I, I think you're, you're like you're a funny guy as long as you're not trying to be funny. Yeah, I'm. I, I would. I I think that goes for anybody. I I'm. That's I'm true. definitely more of a uh, like in the moment funny person, usually by actions rather than words. Yeah, um, you're more physical kind of comedy. Somebody really has to kind of. <laughs> The situation has to present itself necessarily. Like, all right, here's a challenge. Say something to me that's funny right now. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I kind of get, I kind of clam up a little bit. I got, I just got a little nervous when you put me on the spot there. All right, well, just try, try to say something funny right now. <laughs> um, squirrel testicles. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, if you're asking me to just come out with a joke right now and like try to make you laugh, I I can't do it. I I know I couldn't. No, I couldn't either. Can you give me give me your best? Give me your go to fake laugh. <laughs> oh my god, that's terrible! Is that really your fake laugh? I'm doing you sound it right like now. a bad character in The Simpsons. <laughs> But like I, I when, like doing that. Like picture my large face, and I'm not smiling at all. I'm just making like a laughing noise. <laughs> okay, so people hearing that that sounds like a terrible fake laugh, like an awful fake laugh, like creeping people out. But I bet if we could see your face, <laughs> it wouldn't be as bad. Like, oh, okay, that's a little bit passable. Yeah, probably not. Uh, I'm pretty easy to know when you actually have me really laughing. Because I my my voice goes up a little bit, and a lot of times my belly's moving. You got to get the belly moving to know that I'm really laughing. See, I've never been able to really get my belly moving. I'm not big in. I don't, I don't have the the mass to really get like the ho 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 like belly chuckle in there. Okay, would you rather get a fake laugh or no laugh at all? Like, if you went to say something funny in a group meeting or a work meeting, would you rather get the fake laugh or would you rather have people just like silently stare at you? Mm. probably just silently stare at me because then I can segue that into into a joke. You know, like you say something funny, nobody mm -hmm. says anything, and then you go, oh, well, because I really shit the bed or yeah. whatever you want to say. No, no, that's good thinking. I wouldn't say shit the bed in a work meeting necessarily. That's probably, it's probably not going to get you a lot of promotions, but no, no, I, I, well, know she, I see what you're saying. Like, okay. Yeah, okay. I, I think it's a lot easier to rebound from complete disappointment than people trying to appease you yeah yeah it's definitely better if you can kind of play off the awkward silence but if everybody just gives you a fake laugh then you're like <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> with that being said i have always wanted to give stand-up comedy a try but i think i would be absolutely terrible at it okay what's keeping you from doing it like because you're no, you don't you don't feel like you could do it, or because you don't think that you're funny. I think almost uh, what you just kind of said. I think I think for me personally, I'm good at telling stories, but in like not a funny manner, and they come off funny because they're pretty goddamn great stories. If I was on stage like trying to impress somebody, I would get nervous. I would stutter like I do on this podcast fifteen thousand times in five minutes. Mm -hmm. um, it just wouldn't be funny. I don't think. I, you know, it would, I would have great intentions, but I don't think I would deliver. <laughs> Why don't you just go down to open mic night and give it a shot? Or are you going to spend the rest of your life regretting not doing it? <laughs> you know, you know what I like about you as a friend and for people that maybe they don't know this about you, but you, you really are that, that kind of friend that 
will push somebody to do something they're not comfortable in doing. Oh, I love watching people fail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly right there. Because um, well, I want to go see that. Uh, no, I think that people should go after the things that they sh- that they want to do. What, are you going to live your whole life with regrets about this thing that you never did it? Like, go do it. And if you suck at it, who cares? Like, I think that people will actually respect you more for just going up there and sucking. Like, he did it. Man, that guy was bad. But good for him. At least he did it. And I'll be there to watch. What if you go through this transition and you're secretly the funniest man alive? If we're just talking about me, that uh, that would probably surprise no one around me. But I would be like, holy shit, I am I am kind of funny. I would go to the show and I'll give you a I'll give you fake laughs at every joke, but I'm only going to give you like one big like ha. It'll be really unclear if I actually think it's funny or if I'm making fun of you to everybody else in the off the audience because they'll just hear this ha. <laughs> oh man. Well, I mean to be honest, you, you would be uh one of, you know, there'd probably be a story of you in there. So I would hope that's the one you give me the real laugh at. Fairly funny. <laughs> okay, anyway, let's move on. <laughs> moving on are we moving on to the uh shout out portion <laughs> you can edit that out it doesn't matter i i feel like it's kind of creative i'm about to buy a soundboard and really <laughs> you're gonna mix it up all right let's uh give some shout outs here we'll start on the twitter uh gibby tony gonzalez uh chris stewart sadar and james appreciate every one of you on Instagram, uh, Martin, Justin, Dan, Shingledecker. That's a fake name. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Leanne and uh, Just Another Prick appreciates every one of you uh, checking us out on on the, on the gram. So, God, uh, dude. See, this is, what I, this is exactly what you're talking about. Like, you're trying so hard. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just adding a little flavor to it. And if you edit it... Out, I, right. I won't be butthurt at all. Right, that's it. like ketchup flavored ice cream is what the flavor that you're adding. Ooh, that sounds terrible. Would you eat ketchup flavored ice cream? No, Me just either. to try it and see what it tasted like. But I wouldn't actually like buy it. And I mean, if I was at the counter and it was one of Baskin Robbins 31 flavors, like I'm gonna I'm gonna annoy the guy behind there. What do you? Th- <laughs> what's the? What's the, your flavor limit? Like, how many times can you try a different kind of ice cream? before the person just tells you to leave what's your limit before you start feeling guilty oh man i would probably say more than five i would think Ooh, i was gonna go three three I mean, isn't even pushing it like i would i would try one try another and then i would say like man i'm sorry but can i just can i just try this last one for the third i wouldn't push it past three you're gonna go five I mean, because, you know, they only give you uh, little tastings. I mean, you're not supposed to. That's not the meal. You're supposed to just try it to see if you want more. You're not there to have a appetizer. Maybe maybe that's what I want. I'm going to go with five still. If if it's not crowded, if it's busy, I'll say three. If it's busy, you get one. (laughs) You can get one. You're probably the kind of guy that'd be like, can I try the death by chocolate and the triple chocolate and the double decker chocolate? Like, dude, it's all chocolate. You're just like, get the F out of there. Out of here, sir. Um, You can leave. You can try walking out the door. (laughs) We don't want you here. Exactly. Take your business down the street to Dairy Queen. Take your business to Dairy Queen's great, man. I love Dairy Queen. Anyways, all right. Uh, The favorite part of the show I know for you. Uh, Would you. 
what do you think of people that put up their Christmas tree before Thanksgiving? Are you one of those folks that do that? Not appropriate. Not appropriate. You can you if if it's part of your Thanksgiving tradition to actually start putting up Christmas decorations, like the turkey's cooking, and then you go outside and you start putting it up. That's one thing. But otherwise, it's one holiday at a time. You have to wait until the next day for the Christmas tree at least. Lights. All right, I'll give you maybe mid-November. But otherwise, you got to actually get through the holiday before you start transitioning to the next holiday. <laughs> By the way, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, sure. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, that got that got crushed. So did I. Thank you very much. Um, are you more likely to open a spam email or spam mail? Hmm. I mean, some of the spam mail, like, I just want to see, like, what are they talking about? Like, how bad is this going to be to try to get me? Like, when they send you the things that you're the new prince of Nigeria and everything <laughs> is misspelled, like, I'll, I'll occasionally kind of only through a work computer open that up and check it out. <laughs> but I'm I'm definitely not putting in, and I'm not opening it on my computer. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, but hey, it's work computer, okay. Um, yeah, I'm... If if I see it's mail, man, that's just that's just that's too much physical effort. I'm not going to put physical effort into anything. Yeah, but then I've got to open the letter. Then I got to pull it out of there. Then I got to go to the trash. Then I have to take the trash out. Then I have to take the bin out. That's way too much work. Like spam email, just delete two things. I I don't know though. I, I get sucked in sometimes when you get those you know the uh, physical spam mail. Something saying like open now. $10,000 check inside, and then it's, of course, never that, because, you know, why would it be? That That's how I get caught, so. Okay. Uh, let's see, the last one, maybe the one that you would care about the most. Would you, uh, have you, and if you have not, would you drink the tequila worm? No. And for those I who wouldn't. don't know what it is, a tequila worm sounds exactly what it is. It's a little uh, larva of a beetle, I believe, that's placed at the bottom of a certain tequila bottles to give it a little flavor i remember when i first started drinking that was like a big deal like somebody's gonna eat it <laughs> come in from the other room and watch like oh my god he's gonna do it yeah i, I remember that but i've never been like i'm not eating that damn thing you're eating a bug <laughs> but it's got tequila on it yeah there's tequila all around it like that's a disgusting thing when you think about it right that they essentially put a bug in a bottle of tequila, and then that that's somehow completely appropriate and actually makes it more authentic to have bugs in your tequila. <laughs> I mean, according to something I was reading, one uh, brand down in Mexico did this in the 1950s, and it literally carries them till today as like their greatest marketing strategy. To put a bug in their tequila? Yeah, you know, market it as, you know, this, this adds flavor or, or whatnot. And according to the certain kind of mezcal uh, brand down in Mexico that I'm not going to try to say the name of because uh, I will ruin it. Um, it's well, worked. now just tell us what it is. Uh, <laughs> Bazazuko's <laughs> mezcal. Oh I can put it God. on our social media. I, I don't know. I, I honestly am screwing up the name. Bazazuko's. Okay. First of all, it's obviously a Hispanic Latin name. Do you think that anything in Hispanic Latin Spanish language is Bazazuko? Well, I didn't want to say it. Then you're like, say it. Make yourself well, look like a jackass. Well, I mean, 
You Why have been you alive. For, believe me. What I you've been you? alive because then people are going to want to know what it is. You've been alive for thirty years. If you look at something and it's like Baja, you're not going to go Baja like Baja B A G A or B A J A. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> not all of us are married to you know. Uh, oh, you're going to bring my wife's mixed heritage into this. <laughs> Racist. <laughs> Let's just move on before your wife wow, hates me even something. more. Who else do you want to offend? I don't <laughs> I don't really want to offend anybody at all. Oh, and you brought up Thanksgiving. Ask me how my Thanksgiving is with my dead mom. <laughs> hey, my God rest her soul. <laughs> it's not my mother, but my grandmother passed away on Thanksgiving. So, Oh, oh God, no, I'm a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I... I, I <laughs> I feel I feel your pain to a certain degree. Did, she really, did your grandma really pass away? She did, yes. Yep. Grandma Scholl? Uh Baker. Grandma Scholl died last year. Okay, well let, oh. <laughs> last thing last Thanksgiving? <laughs> no, no, last summer. So Oh yeah, well, you should be over that by now. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the record, everybody, Nick is not that insensitive. I don't no. want you thinking he's that insensitive. This episode is dedicated to Grandma Baker. Baker. Yes. R.I.P. Well, that's very nice. Well, was, tell, tell us tell us two things about her. Uh she uh, adopted and raised uh over 40 kids. W- wait. Okay, wait a minute. I for a brief second because I had like an email pop up, I couldn't tell if you said adopted or abducted. <laughs> adopted. Um, okay, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, she was very, uh, very active, and she's all, she was also very active in church. But I will tell you this about my grandmother from remembering uh, several things about her. When I was young, I used to go over there a lot. And uh, she was not the kind of woman you wanted to get angry because she still believed in uh, the old school way of discipline. So you did not want to get her angry. My, two, would... my two-year-old just recently uh, had a pan, looked at me and threw it and hit me right in the ankle, and then proceeded to run off. As like, and there was nothing. Man, your kids, your kids right now are like, he ain't shit. (laughs) Yeah, they they don't give a shit. My, (laughs) he ain't shit. You know, it's uh, man. We could have just a podcast about dad life, and it might be interesting. But uh, yeah, I got. I'm just tired. We're all tired. No, dude, you seem like a good dad. R.I.P. Grandma Baker. I don't know how that got. R.I.P. Grandma Baker. R.I.P. Episode dedicated, episode uh, whatever this is, dedicated Grandma Baker. Sorry to hear about your grandma. All right, let's move on to something I care passionately about. Shoving meat in your mouth. That's one of his favorite habits. That's one of his favorite hobbies is just shoving loads of meat in his mouth. Doesn't care where it's coming from. Doesn't care where it's going. Just shoving meat in his mouth. Dude, give me all the fucking cold cuts. I don't, I don't even care. Is there a hot cut? I don't think so. Okay. What's your number? Okay, so our... <laughs> I was like, <laughs> why do you have to make people think before you give an intro? I just, no, 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 I just want to know, is there such a thing as a hot cut? I don't think there is. Have you ever had a Hot Pocket? Oh, dude, I've been in a Zoom meeting this whole time. Oh, crap. <laughs> good thing you didn't say anything oh, you know, get that. <laughs> depreciating or anything you know that's good for you uh, okay well, good well and nick's fired oh hey who's why is my work calling <laughs> <laughs> hot cut 
there's a lot of hot cuts, but they are mainly reserved for the names of barber shops. Oh, that makes there's sense. Suki's hot cuts, Craig's hot cuts, hot cuts. Hot haircuts. Man, there's a lot of kinds of hot cuts, but they're all reserved for haircuts. Uh, like John said, our top five is top five deli meats. What's your number five? <laughs> I'm going to go simple here. Uh, uh, smoked turkey breast. Okay. Okay. Yep. Legit. I think that's a little bit – I think that's fairly low. Do, I, you have, do you have a different kind of smoked turkey on in another place? I do not. My uh... – from here on out, it's pretty much the same kind of style of meat I have, which I don't expect anyone to agree with. It's just my my list. So okay, I think that's then if you only if that's the only kind of turkey you have on your list, I think that's pretty low for turkey. I mean, turkey is just it's a utility player. There's just too many. You can, you can always go right with it, no matter how shady of a deli you're at. You can at least get the turkey and probably not get some sort of food poisoning. So I think turkey has to be much higher on that list. Uh, my number five is corned beef. Oh, that one I left off the list, but that is, uh, yeah, that's a great, uh, that's corned beef is good, man. You can't eat corned beef every week, though. You got to go like a couple of weeks before you get some corned beef. Mm, I mean, I could probably do one every week or so, I would think. That's too much. I, I would almost say, I wouldn't even say one every two weeks. I'd say once a month you can get corned beef. That's it. To retain the magic that is corned beef, it has to be once a month. <laughs> for, for what it is, <laughs> have to maintain the magicness of corned beef. Magicness? I don't even know if that's a word. I don't think N- it it's not. It's not. <laughs> All right, my number four, I have uh, prosciutto. I don't know what that is. I honestly don't know. Like, what type of meat is prosciutto? Uh, it is, I believe it's a ham, actually. It's uh, like some kind of Italian ham, I believe, that's dried and then uh, served uncooked, I believe. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. It sounds expensive. It sounds too expensive. It sounds like the stuff that's like eleven ninety nine a pound. I'm not paying that. It is, it is expensive. It's kind of what you just said about corned beef, not that you were saying that because it's expensive, but Prosciutto is like once a month, if if not once every t- couple of months because of okay. how expensive it is. Okay. My number four is a tie between pepperoni and salami. Okay. Um, I do not have pepperoni on my list, but salami makes an appearance a little bit later on. I'm going to go ahead and say, though, that if you did a blind taste test, a lot of people couldn't actually tell the difference between pepperoni and salami. That's because they're not fat. That's a good point. <laughs> okay. Okay. Put me, right. me up there. I'll, I'll, I'll be able to tell you every kind of that you got up there for for heaven's sake, man. He may not be that big, but he is at his heart a fat kid. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, I'm working on trying not to be. I mean, listen. I had some family photos taken not too long ago, and I was like, "How many chins you fitting in there, big fella?" Dude, um, I saw them. I was like, "Oh, yeah." There are. Uh, they are. Uh, Must be. Whew. <laughs> Must be a discount buffet near his house. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I just say it's because of COVID. But then again, like you think because I'm inside that I would find a way to work out. But I, I just haven't done it. So anyways, uh, my number three, I have pastrami. Okay. It's legitimate. 
It's a good place for Liz Trump pastrami. It's not on my list, but I understand pastrami. That's 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 a perfect place for it. You don't want to go any higher. And, and do you know where it comes from? Pastrami? Yeah. The deli. <laughs> like what cut of meat it comes off of? Goat? A brisket. So, goat? <laughs> what? I don't know what a brisket is. I have no idea what kind of cut of meat from what animal a brisket is. I really don't. I have no clue. Is it a shoulder? Is it a cow? You're, you're gonna I don't know. Go, I don't have a clue. But you're, you're going to – so what it is, it's, it's from the uh, – it's the breast or the lower chest. It's, of it's what? Del, it's delicious. But what is it of? You were going – and you don't know what animal it's from either. It's from a cow. I'm sorry. Okay. I thought you were asking me like where on the, on the body. It's from a cow. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you for clarifying. Because at first I was getting, I was starting to get pretty angry right there because you were like, oh my God, he doesn't know what it's from. And then you didn't seem to know either. So don't you come at me with your meat knowledge there, ham boy. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen nearly as much meat as you have. Um, <laughs> my, my number three is roast beef. See, I like roast beef, but I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'd rather go to Arby's and get <laughs> roast beef from Arby's. That is true, right? Like, it's hard to go out there and actually buy roast, to justify buying roast beef by itself. Now, if somebody else has purchased roast beef and put it on a meat plate, I'm going to go after that roast beef. But I don't think it's going to, I'm going to have a hard time buying it by itself. Yeah, I don't remember the last time I bought just uh, just roast beef. It doesn't make an appearance in my house very often. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, my number two, uh, which is probably a very uncommon choice, I have bologna. Really? I do. I uh, hmm. I like it. You can do a lot of different things with it. Uh, it's good. It's just it's good. It's a go to. Okay. Not That's... good for you, but it's 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 a go to. Hmm. Okay. My number two is smoked ham. See, I'm I'm not a ham fan whatsoever. Not even close. Ham's probably my least favorite. Okay. I'm happy for you, but I, I got nothing to say about ham. I, I cannot stand ham. Really? Yeah, cannot. Okay. No, uh, I mean, I would go regular ham, but it definitely seems like <laughs> smoked ham is just a little bit classier. Like, if I'm going to go to the deli, I'm going to try to kind of pass it up a little bit by saying, no, I'll have this smoked ham. Like there, there were some times where my family on Thanksgiving would get a uh, honey glazed ham instead of a turkey, and all I would do would was eat the glaze off the ham, <laughs> which says a lot about me as a person. Wow! Right, my number one should be no why did you wait? Why did your parents allow that? Like, hey, John, you can't do that. That's just like eating frosting off the cake. I mean, you think Papa Scholl or Mama Scholl is going to come into the the bear's den? I mean, don't get in my way when I'm trying to eat, Mom and Dad. I'll get your hand, all right? I'll that is true. Wow. What? That is man. I, I, w- I would have some ham sandwiches from time to time, uh, but I'm just going to sit there and eat the glaze, you know? Right. <laughs> Okay, no, man, like, your path in life was pretty much laid out from you from the beginning. No one would see a picture of you now after seeing you eating just the glaze off ham and be surprised. Actually, I would say 
that you are thinner now than I would think a kid just eating glaze on a ham would be later in life. Like if I saw like if I saw you as an eight year old kid eating glaze and not the ham, and then I saw a picture of you currently today, I'd be like, Oh, he's he's a little thinner than I thought he'd be. So c- kudos to you. All I can say is, and listen, I want people to know if you, if they're listening to this, weight's a, weight's a, weight is a real issue. I, I understand that. I deal with it every day uh, <laughs> as I look down. Uh, anyways, um, you're talking to a guy who was on Weight Watchers when he was nine. All right. I, it was an issue. So, and then alcohol becomes an issue. <laughs> right. But how come you have never seriously addressed it? Like, what has stopped you from seriously addressing it? Uh, I mean, it's the thing is, it's not that I overeat or or anything like that. And I've gotten down to a good weight. I mean, I you know, I, I've been okay most of my life, or at least most of my adult life. There's nothing really stopping me. That's the thing, right? Nothing really stops you. All all I'm going to give you is excuses. But like, I can do it. You can do it. You just have to want to do it. Yeah, I can see that, right? It just never raises to the level of being a priority that you put in the time that would be necessary to do it. Oh, yeah. uh, did you? Do we wait? No, I'm on, I'm on my number one, which is salami. Ooh, that big of a salami fan, huh? Hundred percent. You want to talk about a fat kid moment? I once got four pounds of hard salami, and it was gone before I got to my apartment. You took four pounds of hard salami in your mouth in one weekend. God damn it! Not not even in one weekend, and like thirty minutes on the drive from the deli or the grocery store to my apartment. You ate four pounds of hard salami. Oh my god! <laughs> you? How long was the drive? Uh, so I mean, you, you were a part of my life at that point physically. It was when I was in Orlando. You um, lived on top of the grocery store. Yeah, but I but I, I would I wouldn't go to the Publix, which is next door. I live downtown Orlando for those who don't know, and there was a Publix right next door. But I didn't really like Publix because they were so expensive. So I would drive to the Walmart in Altamont Springs, which is about thirty minutes, twenty five minutes away. Okay, uh, that's all right. And, so and, you... and and buy bulk stuff or whatever or you know more of it. So you ate four pounds of hard salami in under 30 minutes. Yeah, but yes, the, the answer, the simple answer, yes, yes. Wow. Um, that's yeah. nice job. Thank you. I, you know, I, uh, I, I was proud of it then because I didn't weigh as much as I do now. <laughs> if I did that now, I, I would probably have a heart attack. So. I don't even know how that's physically possible to eat that much, like just in a setting. You like you would have not even put down the salami while driving. Like at no point did you even drop it to put two hands on the wheel. Like you parked with one hand while still eating the salami. <laughs> There's six, seven slices gone like that. Before you know it, you're four pounds in, three Mountain Dews later, and you know you're watching Breaking Bad. Okay. Uh, my number one is just turkey. Pretty, I mean, it's just a utility player, right? Like any kind of situation. Okay, I'll get turkey. What's uh, what's your honorable mention? Uh, yeah, so I have corned beef. Um, uh, I also put on there uh, honey roasted turkey breasts, but that's just 
you know, that's just me. Like you kind of said, you can really do anything with turkey, and it kind of tastes pretty good. Um, okay, I'm going to read you the list. You just say yes or no real quick. Okay. Uh, chicken breast. Yes. Dutch loaf. Don't know what that is. Meat loaf. No. Beer worst. Mm, yes. Chorizo. Oh, yes, a thousand percent. Liverwurst. No. Okay, basically everything else just a side category of those other <laughs> kinds of groups. I should have put chorizo on my list, but uh, I'm all right with it. I'm all right with, with it being, you know, where it is. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. Would love to hear what you think, right? What do you think is the best deli meat? Salami's pretty good. Is it number one? I just don't think it has the utility that turkey does. But let me know what you think. And if you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.